0: I love Taylor's story because that's my story. I grew up in a home where it was modeled, we gave, we were givers and we learned, I learned at an early age what it was to trust God, see God's faithfulness, not to rely on money. And it it made it easy as Lori and I began our life to be givers. But I realize that for many of you, you don't have that story. And it's hard for you. And I wonder and pray for you, how are you ever going to become a giver? I mean, how's that going to happen in your life? Because it's going to take a big step of faith when it wasn't modeled for you as a child. God promises in his word, he says this. He says, I'm gonna, I will supply all that you need every day in life. In fact, he says, I'm going to enrich your life in every way so that in all situations, you have everything that you need and enough to share, to be generous, so that you can be a part of what I'm doing and you have the thrill of being a part of a generous lifestyle. But for some of you to take that first step, it's a a big deal. It seems like such a big step, a risk step. And you didn't have it modeled for you. And really I think at the end of the day the only way it's going to happen is if at some point you say, I'm going to step in and it takes great faith to give a small gift. To just start and say, God I'm going to trust you or if you've been giving sporadically to say, I'm going to become a giver. We've given you an envelope, and this envelope really is a way this month for you to be praying about that and say, what would it look like for me to trust God and to learn the things that I learned, to say God is faithful and he's good. And I get to be a part of what he's doing, and I'm going to trust in him, not trust in money. The only way it's going to happen is for you to take a courageous step. Let me pray for you. Father, this envelope really represents our heart. It represents our willingness to trust you and believe that what you say is true. God, would you give us the courage to take that step? In Jesus' name, amen. We're in a new series titled Survival Guide, and we're going to have the time of our lives this week. You ready? So we've learned that the key to survival, if you're going to survive, the most important thing is, is you've got to... I know you've been paying attention for the last, like, six weeks. There's only one word, all right? I'll give it to you because I can't bear you not having the answer. Remember, all right? The whole thing is that we need to remember. remember. Key to survival. Come on, everybody play. The key to survival is we have to Remember. remember who we are because if you don't know who you are, because of the pains the difficulties and challenges of life, you will find yourself stuck on a raft, in the middle of the ocean, and you can't find your way out, just like Moana in the movie. But if you can remember who you are, and not just remember, but if you can sing it, right, just like you do, if you can sing it, just like you did this morning, I am a child of God, I'm chosen, I'm loved, I am, I am who you say I am, when you can do that, You can embrace your heroic mission that God's given you, and you can defeat the dark, and you can bring life to this world. Woo! okay. (laughs) All right. And so we've been going on a journey in the last weeks where basically we're learning just to remember who we are. So what we saw is in the book of Ephesians, which is Ephesus was a town on the Mediterranean Sea. It's just like what Orange County would be today. You have a lot in common with the people in Ephesus. Paul writes to these people and he says, you were, apart from Jesus, you were apart from Jesus, lost, dead in your sin, enslaved by desire, excluded, without hope, without God, and we were born as spiritual orphans. But when we believed in Jesus, when we are in Christ, we saw that we are blessed with Every spiritual blessing—we're adopted, loved, chosen, wanted, included, forgiven. Did you want me in that picture? Because you know, just kidding—you can take pictures. I just I just I go ahead. <laughs> Sorry if I just went random. I've done this a few times. Okay, included, forgiven, rescued, alive in Christ. I have to entertain myself. <laughs> and, uh, ma- and we're God's masterpiece. So we've seen who we oh. are. <laughs> Good No one else, all right? We've got things to do here, all right? So So what we've got to do is that we've got to sing. So now that you remember, pay attention, now that you remember and you know who you are and you can sing it, the very first thing that you need to do in your heroic mission, okay, is to... See, you couldn't know the answer because you haven't heard the message yet, all right? So that's a setup. But it's not sing because that's when you remember. When you know who you are, you sing it But here's the surprise, this is what he's going to say, the most important thing for us to do when we know who we are, we can sing who we are, is to work towards unity, to create community. And you're going to realize what we're going to learn today, here it is, is that God heals us, restores us, and builds us into the very people that we want to be and God wants us to be in community. And so if you're new here, you're a seeker, you're not quite figure out Jesus and even what you believe, you love what we're going to talk about because what you're going to see is why you would want to follow Jesus. Because while we are broken in community, and we are, and there's lots of us that go, I don't want to, relationships have been too painful. Ultimately, what you're going to see is we are healed in community. And some of us, we've got to take some courageous steps. And so you're going to love to see this is how God restores, heals and builds us so that we can move out and become the people God wants us to be. And for those of you that are followers of Jesus, just gonna tell you, if you're not in a life group, this is gonna be painful for you and I intend it to be because this is what God says to you you ultimately cannot become the person that god wants you to be unless you are connected in a life group or in community because what you're going to hear is these deliverables of what jesus wants for you in your life can only happen in community and specifically in a life group so it'll challenge you and hopefully for some of you you will take the next step go to rooted or get into a life group because it's critical and those of you that are you're going to feel affirmed so now why is unity so important When we were created by God, we lived in loving community with God, each other, and ourselves. We didn't like it the way God created it. We wanted life on our terms. And because of our selfishness, we destroyed everything. We brought in the chaos that you see in the world. Our collective sin, hatred, oppression, racism, sexism, all of the division that you see in the world. The racial division, the economic division, cultural, political uh, division. And so we are isolated and alone. But God loved us too much to leave us that way, so he came in the person of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to restore you to your relationship with your Heavenly Father so that you can be forgiven and you can live in the community with the Trinity, with God. But not only with God, but with each other. And what we're going to see is in the creating of the community with each other, that's the primary way that God heals and rebuilds and restores so that together we can go out and carry out this heroic mission that God's given us to basically defeat evil, destroy the dark, and bring life back to this world. So we're going to see three things, what it takes to build this community, God's provision for this community or unity, and then third, what does it look like in your life? Doesn't that sound good? And you have an outline there, so if you ever get lost, it just helps you remember. And then during the week, you can go back and read it, and then capture the lesson. So first of all, what does it, so what he's going to say is this in Ephesians 4.3. Here's the big idea. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. So that's, what he's saying, look at this is the most important thing. After you understand who you are, you're able to sing it, now make every effort to maintain this unity that God's given us. So here's what he says in Ephesians 4. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. Paul, even though he's in prison, sees himself as loved, adopted. Uh, He is a child of God. He doesn't let circumstances define him. He says, I beg you. So he's taught us. He's encouraged us. And now Paul is going to Beg, literally beg. And I, as your pastor, am going to join Paul and I'm going to beg you too on these things. To lead a life worthy. Now the danger when you read that is you think, yeah, that's what I need to do. I need a life worthy. I'm going I'm to earn God's love. Jesus died on the cross and i got to be worthy of it. i got to deserve this. i got to earn this. And without thinking, what you think about in your mind is that you're going to be like, you know, in the movie Private Ryan. Remember he, uh, uh, Tom Hanks played a character where he had to go find Private Ryan and, you know, he lost most of his his people and then at the end he's even dying and he grabs a hold of Private Ryan who's played by Matt Damon and he holds him and he says, earn this, you know, kind of be worthy of this. And then it fast forwards, if you've seen the movie 50 years later, and he's at that grave and he's going, was I a good man to his wife? And he's in tears going, was I a good man? Was I a good man? Because he's asking, did I earn it? Did I earn it? Did I earn God's love? Are you going to earn it? Are you going to be worthy of Jesus' death? Are you going to earn this? But that is not what he's saying in this passage. What he's saying in the passage is make your daily life match your position in Christ. You are a loved child of God. You are chosen. You are forgiven. Live like that. Live as if God loves you and you are God's loved child. Live like that. That's what it means. So it should match. And then he goes on. He says, live a life worthy of your calling. Okay, and you've all been called by God. What is your calling? If you don't know the answer, always go with Jesus. What is your calling? It is to be like Jesus. It is to follow Jesus. It is to look like Jesus. So live a life worthy of, look like Jesus. And he goes on and he says, so be humble, because Jesus was, be gentle, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. So if you're gonna follow Jesus, you are going to be a loving person. Now here's the best, because one of the gifts that God gives us, not only does he forgive you, ADOPT YOU into his child as, your chi- AS HIS CHILD, HE GIVES YOU THE HOLY SPIRIT. AND WHAT DOES THE HOLY SPIRIT DO IN YOUR LIFE? HE PRODUCES THE FRUIT. HE PRODUCES TRUE SPIRITUALITY. AND THE FRUIT THAT THE HOLY SPIRIT PRODUCES, AND MOST PEOPLE, YOU GO, WHAT IS TRUE SPIRITUALITY? PEOPLE GO, OH, IT'S INSIGHT, BIBLE KNOWLEDGE, IT'S BE ABLE TO QUOTE VERSES, IT'S BE ABLE TO EXPLAIN THE DEEPER THINGS OF FAITH. IS THAT WHAT IS TRUE SPIRITUALITY? NO. THE SPIRITUALITY THAT THE SPIRIT PRODUCES IS LOVE, JOY, PEACE, PATIENCE, KINDNESS, GOODNESS, FAITHFULNESS, GENTLENESS, AND SELF-CONTROL. NOW HERE'S A QUIZ. SO HOW IS SPIRITUALITY MEASURED? VERTICALLY? IS IT ABOUT YOUR RELATIONSHIP WITH GOD? OR IS IT HORIZONTALLY? IT'S NOT VERTICAL. IT'S HORIZONTAL. WHEN YOU TRULY ARE FILLED WITH THE SPIRIT, YOU ARE LOVING, YOU ARE KIND, YOU ARE HUMBLE, YOU ARE GENTLE. SOME OF YOU ARE UNNECESSARILY DIFFICULT TO GET ALONG WITH. (laughs) NOW FOLLOW THIS, BECAUSE WHAT IS THE HOLY SPIRIT DOING IN YOUR LIFE? HE IS PRODUCING HUMILITY, GENTLENESS, PATIENCE, MAKING ALLOWANCE FOR OTHER, AND THE HOLY SPIRIT. AND WHEN YOU ARE UNNECESSARILY DIFFICULT, YOU ARE JUST FIGHTING AGAINST THE WORK of the Holy Spirit. He's doing this in your life. When you embrace it, you know what humility is? Humility is what Jesus modeled. He, you know, had, he was in heaven, equal with God, he gave up his position, he stepped down to serve us, he put us ahead of himself. You know what it's like when someone puts you ahead of them, they serve you, they honor you, they treat you as valuable? That creates community. You know what it's like when somebody steps on you, to step over you? That does not create community. And so we are hum- that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's creating us so that we automatically are moving towards each other. Humble, gentle, gentleness is a power that it's it, it strength that empowers others. That's what it means to be gentle. So, and that's what Jesus did. He empowered others. One time, I have four sons, and when one of my sons was in high school, he had to give a speech. And so I was helping him. And so I, you know, I gave him, I go, hey, you might want to do this. I think this would work. No, that would never work. So I said, okay, well, how about... And so I, you know, I give him, like, two or three ideas, and I'm just helping. And then he said this line to me. And it was, you know, getting more and more frustrating. And I go, why don't you try this? He goes, he goes, that won't work, Dad. You don't know anything about writing a speech. <laughs> so I just looked at him, and I wanted to say so many things, but I just walked out, because I think, oh, what is that is it. And so I walked out of the kitchen and I go, can you believe what, you know, he just said to me? I go, every week, you know, I'm writing, I speak all the time, he's telling me. And and Lori, this is how Lori responded to me. She goes, Ken, you're a great dad. She goes, and you know what, you love him and you tried to help him. You don't need to help him anymore if you don't want to. You're a great dad, you love him. And I was just standing there going, and so I went back and helped him. (laughs) Why? Because she met me with gentleness. See, gentleness is a strength that inspires, and it automatically creates community. Without gentleness, we just take off on each other, and then patience. We know what that is. It's to spread out the passion. You know, you know, you know if you want to destroy community, meet heat with heat. Yeah, you, you, okay, come on. You know, you talking to me, and you just go crazy. But you know what? Patience is to spread out. That creates community, making allowances for others being forgiving. You know, we automatically forgive others because we go, you know what, I've done that, or I've done something like that, or I know what it's like to be broken. I make allowances for you. And so it creates community. And then the last one is love. So the Holy Spirit is transforming our character and he's making us a loving person. So to say, I follow Jesus means that you are not unnecessarily difficult with other people. You actually are loving and patient and kind. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So you're going to get along with other people. The Spirit is doing the work to make you more lovable and likable. Is that great or what? And it's not a fruit that you produce. You just got to not be unnecessarily difficult and fight His work and fight everybody else as a follower of Jesus. So then not only that... Is THAT YOU HAVE GOD'S PROVISION. LOOK AT how, WHAT GOD DOES TO PROVIDE THE UNITY IN THE COMMUNITY THAT WE HAVE. SO THERE IS ONE BODY AND ONE SPIRIT, JUST AS YOU'VE BEEN CALLED TO ONE GLORIOUS HOPE FOR THE FUTURE. THERE IS ONE LORD, ONE FAITH, ONE BAPTISM, AND ONE GOD AND FATHER WHO IS OVER ALL, IN ALL, AND LIVING THROUGH ALL. SO THE WHOLE TRINITY, is about creating community. So the Father, it says, creates us and makes us into a family, a new family. Jesus gives us a new life. He gives us a new faith, a new hope, a new baptism. And the Spirit makes us into one body. And it's literally picturing a human physical body. We're a body where some of us are hands and arms or feet, you know, thing. and we fit together. We operate like a body. That's what the Spirit does. And so if we understand that, what is our passion? our passion is to belong and to say this is my family. So I want you to do me a favor, I want you to look around all around the room, see all the people sitting around you and I want you to say this, this is my family. All right, let's say it together. Look at all the clowns around you and say, (laughs) together with me, this is my family, all right? Now, because this is your family, I want you to think about it. I, had, I raised four sons. And if my sons, you know, they're all married, now they have families, and if two of them started to disagree with each other, and the disagreement became so bad they couldn't even be around each other, and not only that, they created a division that actually divided the other brothers to take sides so they couldn't talk to each other, they avoided each other, they couldn't even be in the same room. And then they moved away from each other because they hated each other so much. Would I say... <laughs> Well, at least Lori and I are still married. (laughs) And you know what? They have the same last name, so they're still family and they're still brothers. Is that what you would do? No, that's not what you would do. You would make every effort to restore that. You couldn't restore the relationship, but you'd make every effort. You'd do everything you could do so that they could reconnect. They could find forgiveness. they They could discover the love that they have. Now, it's hard to create a family that loves each other. And some of you have to create blended families that love each other. Is it just gonna be easy to make us a family? I mean, we have different cultures, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, we have different political beliefs. <laughs> Heaven knows that's a reason to hate somebody. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, we have all sorts of things that divide us. It is not easy to be family, and that's why. Paul says, first thing you're going to do after you understand who you are is make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. You are part of God's family, which is the multicultural, multi-ethnic, worldwide body of Christ. That's who you are. And so that means, and I just got to tell you, when you read about the first church in Acts, they had greater racial prejudice than we have in our society today. They had greater racial, uh, uh, cultural prejudice than we have. They had greater economic diversity or disparity. They had more religious baggage and they made every effort. TO BIND TOGETHER IN UNITY, AND AS A RESULT, THEY CHANGED THE WORLD OF THEIR DAY, AND CHRISTIANITY WAS LAUNCHED OUT OF THE FIRST CENTURY AND MADE IT ALL THE WAY HERE, AND NOW IT'S IN YOUR HANDS. AND THE ONLY WAY THAT IT'S GOING TO GET OUT OF THE 21ST CENTURY IS IF WE BIND TOGETHER IN THE SAME WAY, AND WE MAKE EVERY EFFORT, AND WE SAY, THIS IS MY FAMILY. CAN YOU SAY IT AGAIN? OKAY, YOU DON'T QUITE HAVE IT, SO LET ME CUT IT ONE MORE WAY. When I first got married to Lori, um, we got, you know, like a month after we were married, we went to Texas because Lori's uh, relatives are from Texas. And, you know, we were at a big family reunion because they all wanted to meet the new, the new guy that got Lori kind of the prettiest girl in the family. And so, uh, so I'm there, and, and, and so I'm with all these Texans, and, and she has some pretty colorful relatives. And I'm from Southern California. I've lived here all my life, and, and I can be kind of shy, and I was standing off a little bit, which probably wasn't coming across right. And, but, and I'm looking at and these people are just, I mean, they're Texans, and you know I hadn't learned to quite love them yet, and so I'm like, whoa. And Lori's mom walked over to me when I was standing a little aloof and off, and she put her arm around me, and she said, and she smiled at me, but she said, Kenton, these people are your family. Now, you act like it. <laughs> and you know what I'd like to do with every one of you today? If I could, just put my arm around you and say, now look around here and look at every one of these people with all the differences and how they're so hard to get along. And they, you know, all the, they're your family. Now you act like it. You act like it. You make every effort to keep the unity that God has created. So now what does that look like? What does it look like for you to do that? And what he does is he goes into a conversation about spiritual gifts, which, you know, just before we do it, here's the point. God's giving you gifts to build up this body so that we can look like Jesus and we can operate with our heroic mission and bring life and love to the world. THAT'S WHAT HE'S GOING TO SAY. SO HE SAYS, HOWEVER, HE HAS GIVEN EACH ONE OF US, SO TO EACH ONE OF YOU, HE HAS GIVEN A SPECIAL GIFT THROUGH THE GENEROSITY OF CHRIST. SO THE FIRST THING IS YOU NEED TO ACT AS as WHO YOU ARE WHICH YOU ARE A GIFTED PERSON, MEANING GOD'S GENEROSITY HAS BEEN POURED INTO YOUR LIFE you've been given every spiritual blessing, you've been loved by God, and now you have a special spiritual gift that we're gonna talk about that helps you serve the body. You should act like it. And when people have been given generously over and over and every day, what's the one defining quality of somebody who has been given extravagantly to? They are, they're generous, they're thankful. They're thankful. They are just overwhelmed. God, thank you, they're thankful. And then they are generous, they're able to give. So, first of all, then he gives spiritual gifts. He says each, and so you have on your outline what the definition of a spiritual gift, and we talk about this in rooted. And if you haven't been rooted, you need to go through it. It does not but here's what a spiritual gift is: it is a divine ability to meet the needs of the people, so ultimately that it creates community. That's so that we in you know, this community builds up each other, so that we look like Jesus. That's what a spiritual gift is. So we'll take the three ideas. First, a spiritual gift is a divine ability given by the Holy Spirit. SO GOD HAS GIVEN TO YOU A UNIQUE SUPERNATURAL ABILITY TO MAKE A DIFFERENCE IN OTHER PEOPLE'S LIVES. IT'S UNIQUE, ONE OF A KIND, AND HE'S IMPLANTED IT IN YOU, OKAY? SECONDLY, uh, IT IS TO MEET THE NEEDS OF PEOPLE. AND IF YOU LOOK AT THE BIBLE, THERE'S FOUR PLACES THAT IT ACTUALLY LIST SPIRITUAL GIFTS. IT'S NOT MEANT TO BE AN EXHAUSTIVE LIST, BUT THERE'S ONE IN one CORINTHIANS 12, ONE IN ROMANS 12, ONE IN EPHESIANS 4 HERE, AND THEN ONE IN 1 PETER 4 and the idea is it just gives you what they look like the best way to think about spiritual gifts is they come in three clusters one cluster of gifts is the ability to communicate truth pastor teacher evangelist it's the ability to communicate god's truth the second cluster is to bear people's burdens and you can see how that would be so healing so to encourage to exhort uh, the gift of mercy and then to give direction so leadership administration OR GODLY COUNSEL, SO SOMEBODY who's IN A DIFFICULT PLACE TO BRING GODLY COUNSEL. AND AS YOU LOOK AT THE THREE CLUSTERS OF GIFTS, HERE'S WHAT YOU SEE. ALL THE NEEDS THAT YOU HAVE TO BE HEALED, TO BE REBUILT, TO BE RESTORED, TO BE ENCOURAGED THAT JESUS WANTS TO GIVE TO YOU, TO DISTRIBUTE TO YOU, HE GIVES TO HIS BODY. SO WHEN YOU NEED TO BE LOVED OR ENCOURAGED, HE'S GOT THAT GIFT SOMEWHERE IN HIS FAMILY AND THAT COMES THROUGH A RELATIONSHIP. When you are discouraged, your heart is broken, and you need some kind of exhortation or love to be built, God gives that gift. When you, you just can't figure the truth out, you need wisdom or insight, God gives that gift. If you need, you know, if there's a sense of leadership, whatever it is that you need, God has already put it within his family. So a lot of times people go out, oh, and they look vertically going, God, I need, I need, I need. And, and the way God's going to distribute that, Jesus is going to distribute it, it is through his family. And the purpose of gifts is to create a community of believers that build each other up that look like Jesus. And so um, the, the important thing is this. When you look at Jesus, think of it this way. When you look at Jesus, Jesus had all the gifts of the Spirit. So when Jesus was with his 12 disciples, he had all the gifts of the spirit. There's mercy, encouragement, truth, you know, teach everything. But, so if you want to be discipled the way Jesus discipled, you must be in a life group, a small group. BECAUSE THE ONLY WAY YOU CAN BE DISCIPLED IS IF YOU ARE IN in A COMMUNITY THAT LOVES YOU AND KNOWS YOU. AND YOU GET IN A GROUP OF ABOUT 12, 13, 14 PEOPLE, YOU HAVE ALL THE GIFTS OF THE SPIRIT THERE, YOU HAVE THE BODY OF CHRIST, AND WHAT YOU'RE GONNA NEED, JESUS IS GONNA DISTRIBUTE THROUGH THOSE PEOPLE. SO IF YOU'RE NOT IN A SMALL GROUP, REMEMBER High I SAID TO WHAT'S GONNA HAPPEN TO YOU WHEN YOU NEED LOVE AND ENCOURAGEMENT? It's not coming your way because this is God's, this is the distribution system that Jesus gives us, okay? So what's the purpose of gifts? Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church and he lists out some of the gifts. So their responsibility is to equip. That's a great word, do you know what equip means? It means to heal, to mend, uh, to make straight. It's like literally setting a bone. So when there's brokenness, when there's healing in your life, that's the purpose of gifts it is to bring mending to your life to God's people so that they can do his work the work of Jesus is to serve and to build up the church the body of Christ next week we're going to follow along in this passage and it's going to even state it on Father's Day it's so cool because it says and when we do that we work in love and we all become like Jesus mature and complete and so this is how you become mature and complete so this is how it works so God gives different gifts And it's so cool because as he does it, he puts a, uh, here's a very theological term, a spiritual smack or a blessing when you just show up. So right now, so I have a spiritual gift of teaching and as I teach, it's not about my talent or my ability. God uses the gift that he gave me teaching. He puts his blessing on it and he uses it in your life and he forms his character in you. And when you show up, and you give your gift, God puts a spiritual smack, supercharges it, he blesses it, and you make a supernatural difference in people's lives. And it's not about how good you are, because all of us in Orange County think it's always about talent, but it's not about talent, it's about God's spirit and him working, because he energizes the gift that he gave you. Is that so cool or what? All right? So that's what he does. Now... Okay, here's four implications that are just so fun, all right, and they're on your outline. First implication is everyone is needed and necessary. If you are not in a life group, you are not connected in community, somebody is paying a terrible price. Why? Because that somebody is going to need your unique gift and you aren't there to give it. And so if you're not there to give it, it's just not going to happen and you pay a terrible price. And so there's this beautiful picture in the New Testament that we are a body. And so it's like some are arms, some are hands, or different parts. If you aren't in, you know, if you're not in a small group, you're like an amputated body part. What is an amputated body part? Gross and ugly. (laughs) So if you are not in a life group, you are... See, I wouldn't say that to you, but... (laughs) That's right. And so that's why you've got to be in a life group. And then the second implication is you've got to expect tension and chaos in the church. Now, there are two reasons that there's tension and chaos. Uh, One is just because we're sinners. But the other one is because people don't understand giftedness. And maybe this will help you understand it. I love this. People come up to me all the time, and it's so... (laughs) And so they say, you know what's wrong with this church? And I actually love it when people say that. And I say, the most godly answer I can say, no, what? <laughs> and they say, you know what's wrong with this church? And what's wrong is people don't care about the lost in, you know, in, in our church. You know, they don't share their story. They don't share the story of God's wonderful kindness and love. That's what's wrong with our church. People aren't sharing their faith. And then, you know, I talk to somebody else. They go, you know what's wrong with our church? I say, no, what's wrong with our church? We don't care about the poor. We don't care about the poor. We don't want the problems of the poor. We don't want them in our church because they bring their problems with them. And we don't want to care. We just don't want to extend God's mercy to the poor. Talk to another person. You know what's wrong with our church? No, what's wrong with our church? (laughs) We need leadership. You know, everything's so disorganized. You know, there's all these people. If we just got leadership in there, we could get some leverage. And leverage is everything we needed. And you know what I love it when they say that? They're all right. And the reason they're right is because they're identifying their own spiritual gift. And what they're really identifying is where they need to get involved. Because there is no spiritual gift of complaining or consulting. (laughs) And see, so one's just identifying, they have the spiritual gift of evangelism, somebody else the gift of mercy, somebody else the gift of leadership, and so you know what I love to just ask people? What frustrates you about our church? <laughs> Let's go ahead and bring it, you know, because all you're going to do is identify the very place that you need to get involved. What so what, what frustrates you? Because really, you should expect a lot of chaos in God's family, because there's all sorts of people that are really passionate about, you know, they're going to be passionate about the poor. They're going to be passionate about evangelism. They're going to be be passionate about a lot of things because ministry is just going to bubble up from the people, and they're going to go, we got to do something about that, and this is the most important thing, and what's wrong with our church is we aren't doing all of this, but somebody else goes, no, we got to do this, and they do it. There should be a sort of healthy amount of anarchy in a good church, don't you think? (laughs) Yeah, some of you can't even you know you leaders are like can't do that you know it's wrong. but it's like but there's got to be anarchy because that's the way it is and at the same time the third thing is is that if you understand this it destroys all pride and jealousy because no one you know would look at the gift because first who decides who gets get what gifts Jesus does he's the one who gives gifts And so he's decided who got what gifts. You didn't decide, it wasn't you. And how Jesus leverages it or uses it, that's up to God. So we just show up. There's no pride, there's no jealousy, there's no competition. It just goes away. And then the last thing is, the gifts are the means, but what's most important is the fruit. And the reason why that's so important is, in Orange County, everyone is focused on talent. It's all about your talent. And that is not the case in God's kingdom. It's just about you showing up. Because when you show up, God promises that he will bless the gift that he has given to you and he will use it in ways that you cannot even imagine to transform people's lives if you'll just show up. You just got to get in a life group, a small group. You've got to be in a place where God's gift can be used because what you see is that's how he heals That's how he restores. That's how he builds us up so that we become and we look like Jesus. And look at just, this is just a cool picture in verses eight and nine. We skip these verses, but these ones, when you read them, you go, what do they mean? But really, it's a beautiful picture. He says, that's why the scriptures say, and then Paul's quoting from Psalm 68. He says, that's why when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says that he ascended. And this clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And then he says, and then he ascended. And here's the picture. It's actually a picture in the ancient world And Paul's quoting, you know, a psalm, and it really has David in his mind. But here's what happened in ancient times: when a king was, you know, king of a land, and a foreign country would come to invade them, the king would descend, leave his throne. He would go out and fight the battle. Then, when he won the battle, he would come back to his country town. He would ascend back to his throne. He would take all of the booty or the riches uh, or the fortunes of war that he got in defeating the other army and he would enrich the people of uh, his country or his city or town. And that's the picture. And so what he's saying is Jesus clearly descended. He left his throne in heaven. He came to this earth and he was like us. And then he went to the cross and he defeated our ultimate enemies, sin and death. And in defeating them, then he ascended back into heaven. And when he ascended, he took all of the riches that he got from defeating sin and death, and he gave you gifts forgiveness, love. He adopted you into his own family. He gave you the Holy Spirit. He gave you his family. And in giving you his family, he also gave you a spirit. And so when he gives you a spirit, he is producing in your life humility and kindness and gentleness and the ability to make allowances for others and love so that you naturally lose that being you know, unnecessarily difficult and you become more lovable and you are more loving. And not only that, he gave you a spirit to produce that, but he put you in his family that he's producing. And in that family, he is given gifts so that when you need to be healed, restored, and built up to become like Jesus, his delivery system is these people. And so you go, this is my family and I'm all in because that's the way that God's going to do it. And if we get just this one thing right... Look at what happens. Jesus, just before he went to the cross, he prayed. He prayed for his disciples and the early disciples, but he prayed for you too. Did you know that? And this is what he prayed in the garden, looking forward 2,000 years out for you. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know. So when we have the kind of unity that we're supposed to have, when we live like what he's talking about here, They will know that you sent me. People will know only that Jesus is the exclusive Savior who can deliver people from sin and death because of our unity and that you love them as much as you love me. The only way that people that you love are going to know that God loves them is that when we experience unity, and I'll tell you, when you read the story of the first church As complicated and as hard, and it was incredibly more divisive in that time. They made every effort to hold on to unity, and they changed their world. And Christianity was launched out of the first century and has made it all the way to the 21st century because Christians have made every effort to keep the unity of Christ. And it is the one thing that will change the world because we together, when we have it, we are built up and we look like Jesus, which is the most compelling thing. And it's the one thing that will change our world today. And next week, oh, Father's Day, we're gonna just go on and talk about it more. So don't you wanna sing it into your heart right now? So let's stand and sing that new song that they wrote for us and sing this truth into our heart.
1: You're together
0: what God's called us to do and be. Next week we're just going to continue on and it's going to be a great day. It's Father's Day. Nick Foles, who's part of our church family. You're going to get to hear stories. It's going to be too cool. So you want to be here, be sure and invite all the guys in your life. Uh, And you can just give them this and say, hey, come with me. And then if you have any needs for prayer, Colin and a group of his friends are over here, they'd love to pray with you. Or if your need is to be prayed for, healing elders meet outside these doors to the right. HOLD OUT YOUR HANDS AND RECEIVE GOD'S BLESSING. FATHER, LOOK AT YOUR CHILDREN. THEY LOVE YOU. WOULD YOU BLESS THEM AND KEEP THEM? WOULD YOU CAUSE YOUR FACE TO SHINE UPON THEM AND BE GRACIOUS TO THEM? WOULD YOU LIFT UP THE LIGHT OF YOUR COUNTENANCE WHEN THEY ARE DESPERATE AND THEY CRY OUT TO YOU? WOULD YOU RESCUE AND DELIVER AND ANSWER THEIR PRAYERS? AND GOD, IN THIS VERY CONFUSING WORLD, WOULD YOU GIVE THEM PEACE? WE ASK IN THE NAME OF THE FATHER, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in God's grace. You have a great day.